Today, the subject of our episode is Parenting Differently, Raising Kids with Biblical Character that Changes Culture. My guest, Dr. Kathy Cook, a phenomenal speaker, author, and writer. We had her at our church this past year and uh, I've got a copy of her new book, Parent Differently. She's written a number of books. She's appeared on Focus on the Family a number of times, has a great website, Celebrate Kids, that I want you to check out, and a few podcasts of her own that we will teach you on. This episode is phenomenal. Uh, You might listen to it a couple of times. I've produced questions, discussion questions for you to process as well. Uh, How do we raise children training for character and not simply obedience? The kind of character that changes culture. That's our conversation today. You're going to love it. Uh, Let's get into our interview with Dr. Kathy. Kathy, it's great to see you again personally and really an honor to introduce you to my Let's Parent on Purpose audience. Thanks so much for being here with us today. It's a joy and an honor. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so uh, I I personally met you when we got to have you in for an event with our church with a previous guest of mine on the podcast, Christine Sneeringer, and uh, you all did such a phenomenal job. Um, I thought, man, my whole audience needs to hear uh, your wisdom. And so our discussion today is going to be around a, a new book that you have released um, called Parenting Differently. If you're looking on uh, YouTube, here's what it looks like. Parenting Differently, Raise Kids with Biblical Character that Changes Culture. And uh, it's a great little book. Um, one of the things I love about your your writing, uh, this is a readable book. Um, it's one that mm-hmm. moms and dads in the midst of the fire can read and congratulations for figuring out how to say it and how to say it concisely. So, uh, <laughs> good job with that. I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I work to not overwhelm. I, I don't want to overwhelm the already overwhelmed. Yeah. So I try to write, you know, very practical insights with, um, you know, enough wordsmithing to keep the, the reader awake while reading. <laughs> so thanks for the feedback. Yeah. I appreciate it. I I love ministering hope and healing to parents. It's a tough job mm-hmm. to parent kids well. So I appreciate people like you who want to introduce your audience to people like me. So here we go. So can we start with a definition of character? Because you're saying raise kids with biblical character, and I don't want to assume that we all know what we mean. It, it, I feel like character is one of those things. I know it when I see it, but if you ask me to to define it, that gets a lot harder. So uh, what is character, at least in the realms that, that you're talking about, raising kids with biblical character? Yeah, I actually appreciate that question because we do need to make sure we're on the same page. So I was interested to find out that character has its origin in Greek and Latin, and it means to mark or to engrave. And that makes total sense to me because our character is what marks us. It is our reputation. It's the bedrock of our decision-making. It is how we are known. If you and I, you know, for instance, you and I both know Christine Sneeringer. Mm-hmm. If we were to talk about her, we would eventually get around to her character. It is what people want to know about. It's what is noticeable and actionable. Yeah, so it marks us. It's why it's so important that parents get it right for themselves and for their kids because it's, yeah, it's life, right? It's destiny. One of the quotes in the book uh, from someone, I can't remember who said it, but the character is destiny. Hmm. It really does control an awful lot of our lives. So... One of the distinctions that you make is the difference between character and obedience, and how um, mm. we want to we want to we want our kids to obey. You know, as a parent, I absolutely want to, but that just 
raising for obedient children is not the ultimate goal. So would you help make the distinction between the two and why our ultimate goal is character and not obedience? Yeah, I'd love to. I, and I agree with you that first time obedience is God honoring. It certainly creates um, contentment and peace in the home. So I'm all about that. Uh, I think all of us listening know that you can tell a kid, you know, be patient, be patient. Would you just be patient? You know, a thousand times or you can say, would you stop arguing? Would you just get your act together? You know, and we're, we're asking them to be obedient and it doesn't help. Character transforms the heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. So character changes children and us so that we can be well and do well, even when no one is looking. I mean, I think, Jay, I think the goal is that kids will do well and be well, even when no one is looking and the burden is heavy. Hmm. So I'm going to, I'm not going to not take the cookie to avoid punishment. I'm not going to not take the cookie so I get praised by mom. I'm going to not take the cookie, even though she's not watching, because it's right to be right. And mommy said, don't. And I love my mommy and I want to honor my mommy, so I'm not going to do it. And then the burden is heavy. What if you're teased by the brother or you're such a little goody two-shoes that you, you believe mom and you didn't take a cookie? No, you're, you're good even when no one is watching. Character is what, ta- what kids will take away mm-hmm. from the home. It goes with them to their first job, to their relationships, to their academic, athletic, artistic pursuits. It's, it's what's got to happen. Um, and I think it's actually much more efficient than people realize mm-hmm. to teach character then transforms all the obedient situations versus just working on arguing doesn't necessarily help them pick up their room. That's such a foolish phrase. You don't pick up the room. Pick up the things <laughs> in the room, right? But we tell our kids, go pick yeah. up your room. Like, how do you do that, mommy? Well, oh my, my kids act like I'm so, asking them to pick up their room. So, you know, <laughs> how could you ask me something so impossible? It's like, it's just stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you yeah. know... At, Does it make sense, though, what I was yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and as a... Um, so as a youth pastor, I spend a lot of time with with sixth through twelfth graders, and I have noticed something. I, there are there's a certain segment of of students that we have that while they're in youth group, um, they're really good rule followers and rule keepers, and mm. then when they get out of the home, uh, they go a bit crazy or a lot crazy, yeah. and it's it's interesting because it feels like. You know, and and I don't want to blame parents because one of the things I realize about myself is mm-hmm. this in in processing a lot of parenting failures and everything on my part is realizing, man, when I was 18 years old, if I would have dropped dead before the Lord, I wasn't going to get a stand before Jesus and say, "Well, it was mom and dad's fault mm-hmm. that I did this." Like it's it's on me. Uh, However, I, I do notice that there seems to be um, a pattern of some of these that, that have very tight rules and, and expect a very high level of rule obedience that once those kids are out of the home um, and, and not under that, that firm grip, that something did not transfer. And, you know, eventually they may come back mm-hmm. to it, but, but they're, you know, they tend to go pretty wild. And, uh, and I'm wondering, so, how do we go back? And, uh, and this is the whole point of the book, but how do we go back? How are, how am I training for characters so that when my child leaves my home and is in the dorm room of their college and their RA doesn't care about their morals whatsoever, um, that they make Mm -hmm. the right decisions. Um, how do I start that process and how does that look different than training for obedience? Parents have to believe deep down that, their children don't behave well to make them look good. One of the things I've seen is parents who um, maybe 
don't have a solid walk with Christ themselves or there's brokenness and all for all kinds of reasons who are wanting to look good to you know the other moms in the Bible study to the other men at work or whatever the case may be that the other families that your kid plays soccer with so your kid needs to really behave so that you look mm-hmm. good that you're a good mom can't be about that um, the pressure that our children are feeling because they bear the weight of the reputation of not just themselves but their whole family is very unfair. So what I would want is for parents to, first of all, get that right. And I love parents. It's why I do what I do. I understand that the dilemma is real. So just make sure that you are aware that you are separate from your children. You are a, a woman, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a, a wife, a mom. Yes, you're so much. Your kids have to figure out who they are separate from you. And that involves character. One of the reasons I wrote a whole book on character is that we have children not becoming who they could be. Mm. I know what I know when God creates us. And I don't say that arrogantly, but the scripture says that we're created on purpose with purpose. He knit us together, wonderfully made. And Ephesians 2.10 declares that we have gifts inside of us yet to be used and discovered. So when he creates every child, he has this vision for their life. And without character, the vision won't be fulfilled. It'll the the lack of character will get in the way of their purpose and their um, possibilities and their influence. And so we we have to take the big picture in mind, I think, Jay, when a parent realizes that these children are agents of change for the glory of God. Notice the title of the book. It's character that changes culture. And children today can change culture. I tell kids that when you're kind to your piano teacher, Let's say that you start out, this is a true story, where you start out the piano lesson and the piano teacher, how'd your practice go? Oh, I practiced a lot. I did really well. And then you start to play the piece that you were supposedly practicing really well, and it doesn't go so well for you. And you're sitting there thinking, I bet the teacher just figured out I lied. (laughs) And this one little girl admitted in that moment, she looked to the piano teacher and she said, Miss, Miss, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you the truth. I didn't practice as much as I just said I did, and I... I'm so sorry that I disappointed you. Like she owned it. It was this amazing moment. And I told that little girl, you changed the culture for that mm. woman. Your piano teacher was respected, was honored by your honesty, and went home and had a different night because of that, how that lesson ended up going. We got to convince kids of that. So, Jay, I'm rambling a little bit, but I think the big picture, parents have to keep the big picture in mind. Kids are created on purpose. They have. Um, possibilities we don't yet know about. They have influence yet to be achieved. And we have to help them become who God wanted them to be when he made them them. And that means that character is essential. Um, Rule following is legalism. Mm -hmm. It's not relationship. It's not healthy. And it's why um, I think kids, just one more point, kids who are rule followers at home and go off to college or go off to work and, and don't handle it well, they don't trust themselves. They think possibly that they've been good because mom and dad made them be good. I didn't want to be good. I don't really know what mm-hmm. I was following the rules to avoid. As you're talking, I'm I'm processing through what you're saying, and um, I I I would think uh, somebody training simply for obedience, which ends up being rule following, 
the motivation is often to avoid punishment or, and, and part of that punishment could be just avoid the displeasure of mom and dad. Um, because for some kids right. that alone, you know, my, my oldest daughter and even really my oldest son, um, the disapproval of, of mom and dad is more crushing to them than a spanking is to, to other kids. And so, uh, you gotta be careful that like, they're not a rule keeper just to avoid disappointment, uh, versus character, which as you're talking about, it sounds like, okay, from a young age, I need to be doing a lot of vision casting, uh, in their lives. Not mm. so much like don't do this because you're going to shame the family name. Um, but more, man, isn't it incredible that God created you to change people um, and, and is putting you in situations. And it's been really neat. I have, I have, um, two sons right now who, uh, one is 14, one is 15. And it has been really cool to kind of have some of these conversations. My, my 14 year old just made the middle school basketball team. And so he goes to a little private Christian school where there's three kids in his grade, but he tried out and made the mm. public school basketball team and every, yeah, he's, it's incredible. Um, and he's inviting kids over every week to our house. And, um, mm. we're just reminding him, Hey, remember you are a missionary on that team. You're a missionary <clears throat> on that team, whether you are the best player or the middle player or the worst player, like you are bringing. And so now like these kids are coming over and they're sitting at our dinner table and we're praying before mm. we eat. And, you know, we're not having to hit them over the head heavy with this stuff. Um, but he, he is inserted into a culture to reach a culture that would not give me the time of day. Um, and I've seen the same thing with my, my older son of like, uh, I can think of this adult who is, is pretty anti-Christian. Um, but we have been associated with through, through some leukemia journey that we've been in. And this adult loves my son and keeps inviting our whole family into platforms where we get to share Jesus because, yeah. because, uh, they love my son so much because of his character, because of, they see the way that he right. acts and interacts. Yeah. And so, you know, getting to cast that vision for your kids, even at a young age of like, Hey, we, we're getting to change people. I love that. Um, and obedience will come from that is what you're saying is like, it's not yes. either, or it's, no. it's a deeper route where obedience will spring out of that, um, because of the bigger picture. Am I, am I, am I on track with that? Yes. Thanks for saying that. Absolutely true. You begin teaching character. Don't talk about it and yell about it, but teach it and do talk about it, but also teach it. And you'll get both. You'll get, um, the Christ-like biblical character that makes God look good and sets children in a position to be influential like your boys and and they will be obedient because when you learn patience you can be obedient when you learn other centeredness and flexibility and contentment you don't argue as much so absolutely and we need we need to look for that one of the things i talk about in the book is identifying the character qualities most associated with the disobedient action hmm. so if someone is listening who has a child who is argumentative or um, self-centered and you see it because they, they don't share fairly or whatever. Maybe you have a child who resents doing, doing the responsibilities and the chores at home. You can use a chart that I have in the book to help you determine which are the character qualities that are probably not rooted well here and begin to talk about and teach and model those and then look for improvement in the obedient area. And then you talk about that and say to the kid, look, 
this is causing this. Mm. I'm so proud of you. If we want to raise our kids to develop a lasting faith, we need to teach them about Jesus in the home. Parents are so important to raising kids to know how to love and follow Jesus, but it's hard to know where to start. There's a lot of amazing content out there, so Christian Parenting did all the sorting and filtering for you and put together a resource to help you navigate it all. Discipleship Simplified is a digital guide that includes some of the best articles, podcasts, and videos on topics like faith at home, reading the Bible, theology, prayer, church and worship, and character. You'll also find conversation guides and discussion starters, even scripts to use with your kids. So if you've ever wondered, what do I say when my kid doesn't want to go to church? Discipleship Simplified has a script for that. Or if you want to know how to weave scripture and conversations about faith into your everyday life, Discipleship Simplified has ideas for that too. Since this guide is digital, you can download it straight to your phone or computer and search through resources whenever you need. I know this guide is going to be super helpful every time you have a question about discipling your kids. You can go to www.cpgive.org to download your copy for just $5. That's the best of the best resources from top Christian parenting contributors for just $5. You might even find my stuff on there. Again, that's www.cpgive.org. That's really good. Um, speaking of character qualities, I know one of the things that you, in the back of the book, there's, I think, is it like 48 different character qualities mm-hmm. that you're looking to build in, but you get into, I think it's, you say there's three that feel like they are at the core that are like keystone character qualities yep. that many of the others, um, fall under. Um, can we talk for a minute about those keystone ones? Cause there's one in particular that I'm, I'm very curious about, but I'll let you go ahead. Uh, what are you, what are the core yeah. qualities that, that we want to focus the most on? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that because the 48, I don't want people overwhelmed. There's a baker's dozen 13 that I stress as being vital. And then you're right. The top 13, the top three of the 13, a gratitude is number one. Gratitude is a parent virtue. There's biblical and secular research that suggests that um, grateful people are many other things. Mm. Grateful people are other centered. They're kind and patient. Um, they're generous, et cetera. So not, not a Thanksgiving gratitude where one day a year we're, <laughs> we're going to say thank you, but, um, but a, a true gratitude internally that causes us to behave differently. And to the believer, right, to those of us who are Christ followers, there's many reasons to be grateful. So it should be who we are, not just what we do. And then joy is number two, not circumstantial happiness. Um, our younger generations, because of technology, believe happiness is their right and yet joy is so much more fulfilling. You can't control happiness. It's happenings. It's circumstantial. But we can control joy. And joy and gratitude are siblings. They are very related. Grateful people tend to be joyful. Joyful people tend to be able to handle things. They're optimistic. They're, they have a better view of life. And it's going to take a child very far to be joyful. Uh, and then the third one, which is fascinating to me, and it might be the one that fascinates you, I don't know, is self-efficacy. And if you've never heard the term, don't panic. Self-efficacy is simply knowing that you can be effective. So when you teach your children how to empty the dishwasher, when you teach your children how to help a little sister go to bed, when you teach your children um, why kindness is valuable and rudeness is not, then they are effective. They're able to be effective even when you're not there prompting them. And they're going to be confident. They're going to be 
uh, more successful, more influential, and more purposeful. So it's a it's a key. Those three go together. When we have grateful, joyful uh, kids who know they can be successful, um, the world will change for mm. them. Um, no, actually, so I understand self-efficacy, but being from West Virginia, I have to go very slow when I say that that term because uh, <laughs> that's a big word for us up there. Um, it's joy. So my curiosity is around joy. Uh, first off, first off, I feel like joy is one of those, again, we say we know, but it, it becomes very hard to define, especially, uh, you know, you talked about the difference between happiness and joy. Uh, I have, I have found one good definition of joy, but I'm curious, do you have, when you're explaining joy to people, do you have a particular definition that you use? Because if we're training for it, we need to know what it is. Well, it's a, that's a great question. What I say, I, I'm not sure if this will satisfy you for a definition. What I say in the book is that joyful children have a strong, positive, and great delight. Hmm. So joy shows up as delight. It's something that's observable. It's strong, positive, and great. They enjoy celebrating life. Uh, this quality depends on forgiveness, peace, contentment, gratitude, and life purpose. And that sentence is in there because if you're reading it going, oh, my kid isn't joyful or I'm not joyful, how would I become more joyful? Well, then, oh, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not peace and content. Why is that? I'm jealous. I'm resenting. I'm hoarding, you know, so we can begin to think it through. Uh, joy affects identity and belonging. It's especially relevant to developing patience, kindness, other-centeredness, optimism, and energy. Hmm. So again, if we're looking at the negatives in our kids, this book is designed to really help you. A dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ establishes consistency and vibrancy and allows them to rejoice in all circumstances. So for a, for a Christ follower, joy is a relationship with Jesus that matters. It's not fire insurance Christianity, where I know where I'm going when I die. It's bring heaven down. It's abundant life. It's living as if Jesus has changed me. That's how I would define it um, to children as well as to adults. That's good. The The one that, um, that sticks in my mind is from the book, the, I think it's called The Other Half of Church um, by Wilder, I think. Hmm. And I don't even think he made it up. I think he pulled it even maybe out of a, a secular feeling but, but or a secular source. It was something to the, the effect of the feeling you get when you are with somebody and you know that they really want to be with you. And, and I thought, man, that is, that is such a powerful definition oh. because you think the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, the joy of the Lord, the Lord knows me and yes. wants to be with me. Uh, and that changes everything. And so like when I'm in a, when I'm in a group of people and I know that they want me there, because he said joy is like a subset of other feelings because you can be sad, but joyful. You know, you can be hurt, but joyful because that's true. If I'm with, you know, if I'm with my wife and I'm sad, I still find comfort in the fact yeah. that I'm with my wife. Like it doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. take the sad away, but there's, there's something in there. Um, my challenge, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be honest. I have, I have a child, with some special needs that really struggles to be joyful, really, really, you know, and grateful, um, kind of all better at self-efficiency in some areas, but I'm, so I'm like really curious, how do I train for joy? And I understand a special needs situation might make it harder and more extreme, but 
but I, I feel like I understand how to train for gratitude better. I feel like I, I understand um, helping mm. my kids to, to know how to do things on their own and encourage them yeah. instead of bailing them out all the time. So what are some, what are some just kind of regularly recurring situations where you say these are, these are opportunities to help train for joy? I will say the first thing I'll say, it's a great question, first of all. What comes to mind is how important realistic expectations are. I think when we, we, we can set ourselves up to be unhappy in a heartbeat, right? Where I'm going to get the biggest donut or I'm going to get every gift I want under the Christmas tree or I'm going to earn every excellent grade. You know, we have unex, unrealistic expectations on ourselves or on others hmm. will instantly cause us to be um, disappointed, angry, unhappy, and lacking joy. So I would encourage parents to talk with their kids about what are you hoping happens here? You know, what will be a win in this situation and what would be, you know, a second place, however you want to word it, depending upon the age of your kid. And, you know, just find out, are, are, do they, are they self-aware enough? Do they know themselves well enough to realize they may not make the team or they may not earn an A or they may not be chosen for, you know, representing the school at a spelling bee or whatever. And they're, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one. Hmm. Well, what makes you think so? And then you listen to the story that they've scripted in their mind about how this is going to go. And then you you teach them through example. You know, I, I think we hmm. save old work to make sure that they know this. This is what you're capable of, son. This is what you've been doing. We're proud of you for this. Why are you thinking that this is you know where you're headed? And and listen to them. Hmm. They might they might really know more about themselves than you than you realize. And and they could teach you a thing or two. So realistic expectations really really important. Hmm. Um, unrealistic expectations destroy us. Um, and yeah, I could go on and on about that. Mm. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, I think it's extremely important that we don't compare our kids. And I think it's extremely hard. Um, I, I do talk to parents about um, don't parent the herd, parent each individual. I have a good friend who has uh, triplets and they're identical. And he introduces them as the triplets. And mm. I took him aside at one point and talked to it only took me two seconds i i don't think i had five words out of my mouth where he knew what mm -hmm. i was saying and goes oh you're right and he now introduces them by name and that's that's not about me it's just an, an insight but we i think that that's significant here for joy um comparison is the thief that's of helpful. joy that's not my original thought it's a heart so yeah. um those are the first some, two things i, I think, would think of. i think realistically understanding just just like with just about anything Good. else you could put some kids are more naturally athletic some kids are are more naturally they're gonna you know art art can be trained like artistic ability can be trained but some of them are going to pick it up much quicker and and i think the same thing some people are just seem to be wired for mm -hmm. joy mm -hmm much more quickly than others do. Yeah. And, and I, I know as a parent, like that can be a real struggle of with the comparison thing. And it can then rob mm -hmm. my joy. Like, why is this one mm -hmm. so grateful for so little? And this one, uh, what is that? The song from the greatest showman, never enough, never, never. It's like, yeah. that's the theme song of their life. Uh, and, and so that becomes very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great insight. We are individuals. We do have there's emotional stamina, there's physical, social, um, intellectual. So I think that's a really good point. Optimism would be a key. Um, and in the book I wrote about resilient kids, I wrote a lot about optimism and pessimism. Mm -hmm. Was stunned to find out the role of optimism. So in this case too, um, and I think optimism can be trained. Seeing the glass half full um, versus half empty and talking to the kids and being a, being a good role model of that. I, so I agree with you. 
And I also would say that there's training that can be done to lift the um, the kids up to a, a higher standard. Of yeah, life. yeah. There's nothing like Especially having the Holy Spirit saved. inside you to empower uh, empower these different things to to grow. Yeah. Uh, regarding uh, regarding the training of character, getting out. Actually, let me just ask uh, the self efficacy. Are there mile markers or are there particular things that you would you would say to mom and dad when your child is in this age range? You really should be putting uh, the, the like your kids should be owning these tasks, and then as they grow older, they should be owning these tasks mm-hmm. because that idea that we're not raising children, we're raising competent adult human beings that are going to be a blessing to the world, and so we need to constantly be building towards that. So are there mile markers that you see that you would encourage mm-hmm. parents in the right. self-efficacy standpoint? There are, not off the top of my head, but there are. In the book I wrote, No More Perfect Kids, which I wrote with Jill Savage, we actually have an appendix of age-appropriate responsibilities at home. Focus mm-hmm. on the Family has an excellent list. I believe it is still on their website. If you go to focusonthefamily.com and search for um uh, chores, I think, would probably be the search word that would bring it up. Uh, I love your question because everybody at any age can do something, mm. um, and they are responsible. They're they're family members, and so you know, mom does this, dad does this, and guess what? This is what you're doing. And kids want to grow up. Kids want mm. to mature. So hey, you're now. I don't I don't use chronological age. I don't say hey, every nine year old in right. my house is going to do this. No. It's character age, okay? Not every 13-year-old gets social media even though it's legal. Not every 16-year-old drives. If I'm raising a 16-year-old who is still Mm -hmm. impulsive and um, irresponsible and argumentative and all of that, you don't get a license. But I'm 16, but you don't act like it. So, you know, own that. So I would look for, again, character. Are they responsible? Are they patient? Are they honest? Are they kind? Mm-hmm. Then they get to stay alone maybe earlier than another kid in your family. Or they get to go on a date with grandpa, yeah. but your other sibling, <laughs> the sibling doesn't get to go because she's a bit more difficult. So, um, yeah, and I love, by the way, I love the word responsibilities versus chores. No one wants to do a chore. I don't want, come, I don't want to come home and do a chore. But this is, did, you, did you complete your responsibility? Um, which for one kid might be emptying the dishwasher. And then, you know what we've got to do, Jay? We have to teach them. So if you don't want them to put, if, if you're teaching a kid to load the dishwasher and you know, you don't want them to put a bowl here because it blocks the water flow, teach them why they don't put the bowl there. Teach them why this type of silverware doesn't go in. Teach them. In in the beginning of of that explanation, you mentioned a couple things that, that sparked another question I want to ask you, you mentioned social media and you even mentioned driving. Driving is a form of technology. Uh, I'm thinking we are in an increasing, ever increasing technological age and, uh, and technology can be a wonderful thing, but I I also feel like technology can retard the growth of many of these areas. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. And one of those, uh, just, I was specifically thinking with the self-efficacy, uh, Children want to grow up and mature, but but I, one of my concerns, this is as a as a pastor and as a parent, that 
technology is now thrusting things on kids before they have the ability to handle it. Uh, and, and it's so pervasive, it's become normalized. But then we wonder, like, why, why do we have the highest anxiety ratings ever? Why are suicide rates so high? Why are dangerous behaviors spiking? I'm guessing there's a correlation. So how would you speak into technology in regards to character growth and what parents need to be aware of? Yeah, I love the question. The top 13 that I chose for the Baker's Dozen, I chose partly because of technology. Actually, joy and gratitude are huge there. Technology teaches us and our children to be entitled. I deserve what I want when I want it, which is right now, and I want it my way. So we, we start treating God like he's Amazon Prime. Mm. It's mm. terribly damaging to our understanding of the God of the Bible and his mm. authority and, and holiness. Oh, I could... Oh my goodness, Jay, we could talk for an hour. Um, so um, grat we're not grateful, we're entitled. We're not joyful, we're happy. Um, so we multitask, we X out the games we might lose. We only have to answer the phone. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't even have an answering machine. That's how old I am. And so we had to answer the phone because we didn't know who was mm -hmm. calling. And now when my phone buzzes or rings, I can look at it and go, oh, I'm not in the right. mood. So we create our own little perfect world. And, and no, that's not how the world works. And you honor others more highly than yourself. So I wrote this book partly because of social media and technology. And I wrote a whole book on that and how technology teaches kids that they can, um, that the world revolves around them, which is pride, that they can be happy all the time, which is damaging because they're going to make decisions to stay happy. Um, one of the lies is that I demand choice. I must have choice. Jay, you and I know choice is a privilege. Mm -hmm. Today's kids think choice is their right. Um, you know, it's 24 hour a day, fill in the blank, right? There's, you can choose your seat at the movie mm -hmm. theater. Oh my goodness. I was just grateful if I got to go, you know? So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, except that it might be teaching our young people that they can have what they want when they want it right now. And then they, again, they, they expect you to treat them that way. So this is why they complain and argue, which is why joy and gratitude and self-respect, respect for others and self-control are the next three on the list. And all of that is, is birth and technology. Nothing wrong with it. If it's, manage well in the home and there are limits. Um, but this is why we need to teach character. Technology is teaching them mm -hmm. that they can have what they want when they want it right now, right? Technology is teaching them that they can win any game they play. I, I asked a bunch of young adults, um, how many of you have dropped a class after a bad test? So these are kids that are out of high school, they're in trade or, or university. How many of you had a bad first test or hard quiz and you dropped the course? Unbelievable, Jay, the number of kids mm -hmm. who raised their hands. I don't know about you, but if I had a bad experience with the first test or first quiz, I studied more. Mm -hmm. I didn't give up. We have a we have generations that are giving up. Yeah, yeah. I so. I rem I dropped one class ever, and it was Calc three, and it was after the midterm, and I was like, <laughs> I I am good enough at math to realize this is unrecoverable, and I never want to do anything with my life that would require me to finish Calc three, and that ended up being part of what the Lord used to turn me into ministry because you do not need calculus three. Wow. Uh, to go into ministry. But yeah, I mean, but there was a lot of wrestling and struggling before that, that point. And the, and the struggle is real. I think the other thing about choice is choice debilitates, uh, you know, a certain amount of choice is good. And then I, I, I call it like the cheesecake factory syndrome. When I go to cheesecake, they don't hand me yes. a menu, they hand me a novel. And no matter what I choose, I'm missing out on 752 really good things. And, uh, and so there's a tremendous amount of anxiety that comes with that. And, and I think our kids, that's right. a big part of it is 
you know, that you can do anything in the world. You can watch anything you want to, you can be anything. And, and so it's not even just comparison to everybody else, but it's the, the unbelievable amount of willpower that it takes to make choice after choice after choice in things that like we never had to worry about. And I think that sucks from, sucks from joy. Um, it sucks from gratitude. And then they also make poor decisions because they're choosing, they have too many choices to make anyway. Oh, that's no, so well worded. And that's why character qualities like effort, diligence, perseverance, um, resiliency, discernment. One of the top 13 is discernment. Um, who are you and who would be good for you and what would be good for you? So again, teaching character, not telling and yelling, but really making an effort as a family. This week, let's work on this quality together. Um, it can change them and it helps them make choices. Choices are a fact of life. Um, it's not something that you deserve all the time, but it is a part of life. So how do we make choices? And how do you discern when you've made a less than great choice? And this is where I write in the book about letting kids suffer from their own foolishness. Let them suffer the consequences of their foolishness. Don't rescue them all the time. Now, yell stop if they're going to run out into the road. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But, you know, if your child chooses to forget that there's a test to study for, and I did word it that way, mm -hmm. they choose right. to forget that there's a test to study for, you don't always want to remind them. You need to let them go off to school and have that negative experience. And then when you hear them saying, oh, the teacher was mean, the test was really hard, you look your son in the eye and you say, son, is that true? Think a little bit harder about the grade that you earned. Mm -hmm. You were not given that grade. You earned that grade by the choices you made. Let's, let's talk about that. It's, it's very powerful. If a choice is one of the powerful words a parent gets to use. You chose to talk back to me. You mm -hmm. chose to roll your eyes. You chose to slam the door. You chose to forget. You chose to treat your sister meanly. No, I didn't know. You chose. All mm -hmm. behavior starts with choice, and all choices are rooted in a belief system, which is why uh, a Christian worldview is so important. Love that. Love that. All right. We are we're drawing down on our time, which is unfortunate because I could go two hours here. My favorite part of the podcast <laughs> is it ends up being like personal free therapy for me as I process out uh, my stuff. I just act like I'm interested for other people. Um, Dr. Kathy, as we've talked, you have referenced uh, some other books. And so as we close out, I highly recommend people get Parenting Different, Raising Kids with Biblical Character that Changes Culture. But but some of my questions that I've asked, you're like, basically, well, I've written an entire book about that. Would you just highlight a couple of the different <laughs> ones that parents may be interested in? I'll throw the links into the show notes. Um, because I, mm. ju they're just such great resources. Well, it's very kind of you. Uh, Screens and Teens Connected with Our Kids in a Wireless World is the book about the five lies technology has taught us. It's not a book about tech. It's a book about what tech does mm. to us. Um, the book Start with the Heart is a book about relationship, um, correcting and complementing, um, consequences, goal setting. So that's a relationship motivation book. Um, eighth Grade Smarts is my bestseller. It's about how kids are smart in eight different ways and how to raise them up to be who they've been created to be. Uh, no More Perfect Kids is the book I wrote with Jill Savage, which is the book that has the appendix about the responsibilities in it. So people might appreciate that. I wrote Resilient Kids about a year ago. Resilient Kids is super important. Uh, today's kids tend to want everything to be done for them and, or they want everything to be easy. Another thing technology has taught them. So how do we help our kids um, rise up after a Valley experience? I think that book is super important. Five core, the book about five core needs is called um, Five to Thrive. 
And that's a book about making sure that Jesus meets your needs, that you're not trying to meet them by yourself. So I appreciate you allowing me to um, kind of mention those. This book, Parents Differently, uh, it might become the most important book mm. I've written because character is so significant to us becoming who God wants us to be. And it's, it's really the way we glorify God or we don't. So I'm really glad that you wanted to talk about it. And uh, Celebrate Kids, you know, is our website. CelebrateKids.com is our website. We're all over social media. And, of course, books are available wherever you purchase your books. That's right. And you have a fantastic podcast as well. Um, so since I'm only once a Thank month, you. I feel free to promote other people's podcasts because you got to listen to something else along the way, too. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> great. Is it Celebrate Kids with Dr. Kathy? I can't remember the Yeah, we have um, Celebrate Kids with Dr. Kathy. And then my new podcast under that channel is called Facing the Dark, where mm -hmm. we look at a cultural moment, and then I take the Celebrate Kids nuance to it. So that's called Facing the Dark. We have a Saturday podcast called Dr. Kathy Says. And we called it that because after people hear me speak, they go home and they say, no, Dr. Kathy Says, <laughs> you know, do it this way. So Dr. Kathy Says, Facing the Dark, and uh, Celebrate Kids with Dr. Kathy, all at the Celebrate Kids podcast channel. You are a busy bee. So, hey. Yeah, it's fun. I'm so privileged to do what I do. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for, for coming on. Love to have you back anytime. And um, just appreciate how God has gifted you uh, to be a blessing to the community. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Jay. I enjoyed this and I enjoyed being in your church. I can tell that you're ministering well to your people and I appreciate that. Right. 